A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzy. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you run now will be broken by Chris Jericho. All right. It's the People's Podcast has arrived. Let's go for a ride. Don't cheek, don't, don't cheek, don't, don't, don't cheek, don't, don't cheek, don't, don't. All right. Got something to say now, 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 now. It's better to burn out now, 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 Than to fade away All right Rise up, gather round Rock this place to the ground Bat it up, let's go for broke Rock the night, go up in smoke Rock on, rock on Gonna fly roll, baby, yeah Wow, that's a tough one. (laughs) Def Leppard is on tour. We thought we would start it off with a little rock of Ajals here on Talk is Jericho. And guess what? It's Friday. It's Friday. And wow, time for part two of my conversation with Paul Heyman and Edge, critically acclaimed, one of the biggest first day ratings ever in Talk is Jericho history. We've got more of the same coming up. What a hit. This is episode 51. All three of us got together for episode 50 in New York City and just talked about everything under the sun from wrestling to uh, Morris Day and the time. Jungle love. Oh, we, oh, we, oh, jungle love. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. We talked about Jack Elam, Cannonball Run, uh, 
so many ridiculous stories and so many more coming up here uh, on Talk is Jericho part two today. And uh, you're going to hear about his time, uh, Paul's time at ECW, uh, why he returned to the WWE and his time running SmackDown with Edge and Chris Jericho as two of his biggest components. We're going to discuss all those things. I've also got Egypt back on the show to discuss this weekend's big pay-per-view money in the bank, a match that I helped create. True Jericho-holics know that. Uh, but first, before we get to Egypt and part two of Paul Heyman and Edge, I want to give another big thank you to you guys for checking out my sponsors. You can find them all in one place. Just go to podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com and click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page. That will take you to Talk is Jericho and links to all my sponsors, including Amazon. All of the Amazon links are there as well. Amazon Canada, Amazon USA, and Amazon UK, which is all the way good for you in May. So again, please go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page. Then click on Talk is Jericho to find all my great sponsors. All right, this weekend is the huge Money in the Bank pay-per-view, the World Heavyweight Championship at stake, the Money in the Bank briefcase at stake also as well. I mentioned earlier that I actually uh, helped to create the Money in the Bank match, myself and Brian Gewertz, a former WWE head writer. Wasn't doing anything at WrestleMania 20, came up with an idea of having a ladder match with something at stake, uh, a chance to win the, the championship the next night on Raw. Brian took it a little further and said, what if we have, you know, a one year kind of a, a, a gift certificate to have a, a championship match? And that's kind of where it all came about. And the thing that Vince was most concerned about was that it, have to, it had to be in a briefcase. Uh, it can't just be a, a piece of paper on a wire. It has to be in a briefcase. Damn it must be in a briefcase. So uh, lots of big matches this weekend. And I'm brought back a very uh, controversial uh, subject, a very controversial figure in the history of, of Talk is Jericho, which, as you know, is at the 51st episode. Uh, this man has been quite a big part of a few of these episodes, and we're excited to have back uh, Egypt. Egypt, uh, how have you been doing, and what have you been up to? Oh, Chris Jericho, I am very excited to be back on their show. I have been having a good time working as the commissioner for World British Super Duper Motocross Championship Wrestling and its very worldwide exposure on the internet all the way from Leicester Square in the UK to the streets of San Francisco. Watch my show when you can. Okay, Egypt, yes, we'll be looking uh, forward to seeing your show uh, as you're the commissioner of World British Super Duper Motocross Championship Wrestling. Congratulations on that. But let's talk about World Wrestling Entertainment. Big, big pay-per-view, Money in the Bank match. Not a lot of matches uh, uh, have been announced so far, only four. But I think those are kind of the, the big ones that everyone's talking about. Um, let's start off with Paige versus Naomi Divas Championship. I think we're going to see a new Divas Champion because Naomi is on uh, Total Divas, gets a lot of 
a focus from the WWE right now, and she's a tremendous athlete. So I think she's going to win uh, Egypt. I think you're crazy. I like to watch Le Page. I always enjoy Le Page. She does not look like the typical diva. She has the white skin like alabaster, like a little china doll. And she is a good wrestler because she... <laughs> Ah, she's from the Britain and England, and she's been wrestling with her family since she was young. She has the lineage. She has the legacy. She is like Bret Hart. She is like the Armstrong. She is like Von Erich. She is like Gary Okay, so you're choosing Paige. All right, we'll see. Uh, next is for the Tag Team Championship, the Usos versus Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. Usos, great, entertaining, high-flying team. Uh, I think that the Usos are going to retain uh, the, the championships in this match. How about you, Egypt? Luke Harper and Eric Rowan are on a rule because they are part of the Wyatt family. I don't think it's time for them to win a championship right now. But if I had to choose, I would say they will probably win by disqualificado, or Usos will win by disqualificado. Then Usos will go Uso crazy on Harper and Rowan. So I do not think it will be a clean Finio show on this bounce. All right. Then we go for the Money in the Bank ladder match, where the winner, as... Uh as uh, dictated by the rules that, that myself and Brian Gortz came up with for Money in the Bank, uh, the original Money in the Bank match 10 years ago. Um, the winner, uh, all vying for the briefcase, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, Kofi Kingston, Dolph Ziggler, Rob Van Dam, and Jack Swagger, and Bad News Barrett, who apparently suffered a very bad injury on Monday and might not be able to work on this pay-per-view. First of all, Egypt, who do you think is going to replace Bad News Barrett? And second of all, who's going to win the match? I think that the replacement will be the surprise return of Christian. Everybody knows that Christian has been in a lot of Latin shows, and people want to see the return of Christian. But uh, uh, even if he is in the match, I do not think he will win. I think the victor is going to be Seth Rollins. Okay, uh, you think Christian is going to return and Seth Rollins is going to win? I think that Miz will replace Bad News Barrett and that Dean Ambrose will win the uh, the briefcase. Okay, uh, last match, main event, Kane versus Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton versus Alberto Del Rio versus Sheamus versus John Cena versus Cesaro versus Bray Wyatt. Ladder match for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship that, uh, that's that been vacant since Daniel Bryan was forced to give up the championship. I think it's going to be, uh, I think the winner is going to be John Cena. How about you, um, Egypt. John Cena is the hero to the children. John Cena is the hero to the girls. John Cena is the hero to all the janitors around the world. But I'm not going to choose John Cena to win the match. I'm going to choose 
the uh, outside the chance of Cesaro. I listen to Cesaro on Talking Jericho, and I enjoy that show. So I think that Cesaro will come from nowhere and uh, be the surprise winner and beat John Cena at the Money in the Bank Heavyweight Championship match. All right, well, there you have it. Uh, all of the predictions are ready to go. Uh, I'm taking Cena, and um, Egypt is taking Cesaro. So, Egypt, thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to seeing you upcoming on, uh, what's it called again? Ah, you dummy! It's called the World British Super Duper Motocross Championship Wrestling League. Come see me. Go on YouTube. Come see the show. I will be there. And a shout out to all my homies on the streets of San Francisco. All right, always good to talk to Egypt, uh, a tremendous, tremendous character, great guy. Now we've kind of see see things uh, on the same wavelength. Uh, I've forgiven him for the awful things that he did back in the back in the days of the BTWF. Very excited about the upcoming uh, release of the new Fozzie record on July twenty second. Do you want to start a war? First single, Lights Go Out, is moving up the charts. Top 40 now. Top 40. Our first top 40 hit. I'm going to play it for you right now. Then we're going to get to Paul Heyman and Edge. Here's Lights Go Out by Fozzie. Crank it up!
right. Let me know what you think at Fozzy Rock or at Talk is Jericho on the Twitter. Coming up next, Paul Heyman and Edge. But first. All right. There are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas. See, already learning. Haha. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. You're listening to Talk is Jericho. So I'm sitting here with Paul Heyman and Edge. We're going to pick things up at Studio 54. Now, Paul, you've gotten yourself a full-time job there as an in-house publicist. So how did wrestling come into the picture? No, so now what happens is that the Palladium opens up. Yeah, New York Palladium. And, and, um, and they have and Steve Cohn and a bunch of the promoters from Studio 54 jump ship. Mm-hmm. And they're going to open up this uh, brand new greatest nightclub in the world down on 14th Street in, in New York City. And uh, studio's hurting now because now they've lost half of their promoters. They've lost Steve Cohn, who was just a genius at at, at branding and building the, the studio name. And uh, they are short on Friday night events. Nobody realizes I'm 19 years old. The legal drinking age in right. New York is 21. You can't even you, get in. I can't even get in. And here I'm practically, you know. It's like maybe from Arrested Development. <laughs> yes. You know, I, 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 got, I got the run of the joint. So I said to them, hey, um, if you're looking for a person to produce and uh, and present stuff on Friday nights, hey, man, you know, I, I've done a lot of uh, producing and I've done a lot of promotions. So I'm happy to go do that for you if if you'd like me to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can do that? Oh, of course I can. I've been doing it my whole life, you know. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've never promoted, you know, and mm-hmm. I've never presented, I've never produced. Um, but what do they know? For you, right? So know. so that Friday night, there was a Liza Minnelli concert. <laughs> and the producer had jumped to Palladium. So I walk in with a yellow notepad on Friday morning, and I'm checking with the sound guys, and I knew all the sound guys, and I'm checking with the lighting guys, and I knew all the lighting guys. All I really need is a set list mm-hmm. and to coordinate with the sound guys who know what they're doing, because it is Studio 54. Right. You know, And the lighting guys who know what they're doing, because it is Studio 54. <laughs> so all I really need to do is kind of coordinate this. Yeah. And I had watched so many times Vincent James McMahon 
coordinate a Madison Square Garden show, or Arnold Skolan coordinate a show at the Westchester County Center, or Gorilla Monsoon coordinate these shows in New Jersey, or Frank Valois coordinate these shows in Montreal. And I'd snuck into enough of Dusty Rhodes' production meetings that how you put things together, mm-hmm. and here's your checklist of things that you need to make sure. So by the time Liza Minnelli and her people showed up, I pretty much had an idea of what a producer's supposed to do and what a producer's supposed to say besides, yes, I'm a super genius and you're fitting <laughs> with the right, the greatest book of all time. So short of just giving the dusty spiel to her, right. I kind of much, pretty much knew just to get the set list, make sure she has her, you know, purple M&Ms in, in her yeah. dressing room and stay the hell away from her. And just have the right people, you know, the, the sound guy check in, the lighting guy check in, secu- have a security guy outside the door to make her feel good about it, and make sure her lawyer and her agent, who are going to show up anyway, and her publicist were all happy with mm-hmm. me. And I could schmooze with the publicist because I, I I got the jargon down because yeah, I was already doing, I already doing yeah. publicity for Studio 54. So uh, the first thing I ever produced at Studio 54 was a, was a live Liza Minnelli concert wow. when I was 19 years old. <laughs> so I went to them and I said, I want to put on my own shows, you know, because why wouldn't I want to put on my own yeah. shows? And the first show that I actually put on from Soup to Nuts all by myself was um, I gave an award to Ric Flair. Huh. The Wrestling Press International, <laughs> which was a totally made up name, yeah, you. Uh, which you know, based on the United Press International, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, I gave him the the Wrestling Press International Man of the Year Award, which featured Bam Bam Bigelow's pro wrestling debut. Wow! wow. So you put on a wrestling show in Studio Fifty Four. I put on a, August twenty Friday night, August twenty third, nineteen eighty five. Wow! Not that I remember the date or anything. <laughs> I put on a wrestling show in Studio Fifty Four, and I wow. originally had offered it to Vince. Hmm. Vince had come to some event at Studio 54 that July. Oh, I'm sure Vince used to go to Studio 54, right? <laughs> and uh, and I Dance. offered it to him. And I said, Airplane hey, listen. ACDC. Rolling Stones. Can you play Miss You, damn it? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, let me give this award to Hogan. And, uh, and we'll do something with Hogan or Roddy Piper yeah, or yeah, somebody. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if that date fits, you know? So, I mean, so I, you know, call me in the office. So I, I, I called up and the, 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 they were on the West Coast or something that night, but the, that's the date I got from studio. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Crockett was running Philly that night. So I promised Crockett that if he gave me Ric Flair and, and a guest, and he ended up giving me Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA, hmm. that I would get the event publicized in the New York Post, the Daily News, the New York Times, Newsday, and USA Today. Hmm. I promised him USA Today. And for some reason back then, that was a big sticking point with Crockett because he couldn't get his guys into USA Today. And I had a great friend who had just gotten into the uh, into the entertainment section wow. of USA Today. And yeah. I said to him, listen, if I could do a wrestling party at Studio 54, can you promise me publicity going in and publicity coming out? And I got to get at least one picture in there. He said, absolutely, I'll hook you up. I'll take care of it. So uh, I, I I lived up to my word for the first time in my life, and um, <laughs> and Crockett flew Flair and Dusty and Magnum from Philly on you know the, the, mm-hmm. the legendary Crockett Cro- jet, Crockett jet yeah. to New York City. They landed in Teterboro. Uh, he paid for the car service to pick them up and bring them to studio, and uh, so they got there at one o'clock in the morning. I had Bigelow come on at eleven o'clock at night. 
and do his debut. We had, we had Otis Day and the Knights uh, <laughs> sing. No relation to Morris, Morris. Day. No, no, no. At you know, but, but you know, but, 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 but back then they, they were hot because they were coming off Animal, Animal House, House, right? right? So you know, so literally Bigelow goes, you know, Otis, my man, you know, and they come out and then they're singing and shout, yeah. you know, and 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 and, and right, you know, and so they killed the time that we needed until Flair and Dusty and Magnum showed up. So. Uh, the first wrestling show I ever promoted was when I was 19 years wow. old at Studio 54. If they ever make your life into a movie, yeah. Paul Giamatti. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Giamatti is Paul Heyman. Without a doubt. You know, you're talking about your first, talking about your first show that you ever promoted, uh, moving forward to ECW. Now, ECW, like when it became on my radar, it was because I was working in Japan a lot. And for whatever reason, the Japanese loved ECW. Like It was in all the magazines, and it was the place to be. So... Some of my friends were working there. Uh, Eddie Guerrero was working there. Chris Bemo was working there. And it's like, you know, Chris is like, you got to call him. And Mick Foley's like, you got to call him. So I called Paul Heyman's number for a year. And over the course of time, uh, Paul's roommate Dave answered. And yet Dave sounded suspiciously like Paul Heyman. <laughs> it's such a disguisable it's, it's voice. It's a disguisable voice. <laughs> well, this is his roommate Dave. And uh, so then he, uh, I'll get Paul to call you back. That doesn't sound anything like you, but in my mind it does. <laughs> and then another time when I actually did get through, uh, you said, Chris Jericho, I've been waiting to talk to you. I got Jimmy Snook on the other line. I'll call you right back. Uh, didn't get a call back. And I spoke to someone else. I said, yeah, I'm trying to get a hold of Paul Heyman and blah, blah. And I said, yeah. The one time I got through, he said he had, guy cut me off, Jimmy Snook on the other line, right? I'm like, yes. How do you know? He must talk to Snook a lot. Finally get through. Lovely brother. <laughs> I finally get through, and this is the best. I'll never forget this. Chris Jericho, Paul Heyman, call me back. I rarely sleep. I've been waiting to talk to you for a year. <laughs> and that was, that, was the, that was it. And I remember when I finally, uh, actually, was, uh, I was in Calgary, and Benoit called me one day on a Saturday. You got to get to Philadelphia tonight. Why? <laughs> well, that, that's Paul, an easy one. Paul wants to use you. And I tried so hard. And it's like, the earliest we can get you in there is 9.30 and 10 o'clock. And I said, no directs? Calgary not Calgary to Philly? <laughs> and I, I thought, that's it. I'm, my, my chance is lost. I'll never get to work here again. And then Paul calls me. And then I go to ECW. And it was just, it's one of those things that if you didn't work there, you'll never understand. People talk about it. And they used to make fun of it sometimes, drinking the Kool-Aid. It was, talking about the revolution. It really was that. I mean, it felt like you were a part of something and something big, even though it wasn't that big, but, but it was growing. And it was, it was the, a cause. It was the cool place and a cause, exactly. It was a cause. You know, B Bubba Ray Dudley came up with the best analogy, or Bully Ray, uh, yeah. Mark LaMonaco, yeah. um, came up with, with the best analogy for it. Uh, he said that people will look at ECW and say, well, it went out of business, so it couldn't be successful. But it was successful in the fact that it wasn't meant to stay in business forever. It was a cause. And the cause was to change the industry, which we succeeded at doing. And he, he equates it to Napster. Mm -hmm. And once he equated it to Napster, it really made a lot of sense to me, especially. I don't think anybody drank the Kool-Aid as much as I drank the Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I clearly... Just in, 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 my, in my own um, self-assessment, I clearly lost the understanding that it is a dollars and cents business because it became to me a passion play. We are here to change the business. We are here to show a different way how it's done. We are here to get things out of performers 
that nobody else could get. It became like an indie film company mm-hmm. wanting to uh, present the best indie film of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, well, okay, but your distribution is, is limited. And, you know, if you do more mainstream movies, you could probably, you know, uh, end up being bought out by Sony or Warner Brothers or Universal. And, and, and I, I was never looking for that. It was always that um, I, I, I so much was in love of finding something in the talent that other people couldn't find mm-hmm. um, that... Uh, it, it, it was uh, it was one of those things where I mean I, Chris Benoit pushed so hard for you mm-hmm. you know and then and then I saw the match that you had with Ultimo Dragon right and I was like wow we could do so much with this guy and and he's never been a champion here in the United States never worked and, in the states and, yeah. well well you did Smoky Mountain Smoky Mountain right Smoky sorry Mountain, yeah, right yeah, yeah. but I mean never had been Very featured regional, yeah. yeah you know and and here was a chance you know to bust you out as a singles you know mm-hmm. and, and 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 even though. Obviously, by watching the match with Ultimo Dragon, I never got a, 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 um, a great taste of how much personality you had. Mm-hmm. But just seeing what you were doing in the ring and the way that you were interacting with a Japanese crowd and sitting there saying, my God, with our crowd, which was so interactive mm-hmm. and so engaged Very in the smart, too. Yeah. yeah. It was like, man, this guy could be a breakout star for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, it was just a matter of, okay, when do we start him? And how do we start them? And of course, usually it's you know it's that Friday night at five o'clock, you know five o'clock in the morning before I'm about to crash for two hours, and I say, "Oh man, we could put Jericho in there." Hey Benoit, who's at the gym probably at five o'clock in the morning? Where's Jericho? I don't know. I think he's in Calgary. Get him here. You know, you know, use this ticket in the name of Sidney Burnbaum. <laughs> I was telling wise cousin Chad about the one time my flight got canceled, so I called to uh, switch it, and the lady goes, um, "This is a bereavement fair, so it's going to be hard to switch." And I was like, "I, didn't, I never heard that." I'm like, a, "A bereavement fair?" She's like, "Yes, yes, yes. Somebody died, so you got a cheaper flight." I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it was Sydney. Yeah, Burnbaum. yeah, yeah, yeah." And then the other time with Johnny Smith, when he bought us <laughs> both bereavement fairs, and our brother like. Pee Wee Smith had died, and Johnny and I were trying to figure out how can we be brothers, brothers. if we're not like. And we figured out our sister was married to your sister, or whatever the hell it was. It was a heart <laughs> family thing, you know. Yeah. You know, there's 19 different brothers and sisters, right. and they're all married to each other, yeah. you know. So Sydney Burnbaum, Sydney Burnbaum, you know. And by the way, shout out to Pee Wee Burnbaum. Yeah, Pee- we miss you. We miss you, Mr. Pee Wee Burnbaum, and thank you for providing me the bereavement fair. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I remember when I first got in there, first of all, the, the, the first thing I remember is walking in there and going, oh my God, there are so many hot chicks in this dressing room. I had never seen pretty girls because there was always women wrestlers. But at the time, in the early 90s, Bertha Faye, Bertha Faye, you know, I remember Calgary was Casey Houston and, uh, you know, Rhonda Singh and all these type of, they were big girls. And kind she of got butch. two mentions, Bertha Faye and Rhonda Singh. Wow, double, hey, good hey, call. Hey. That's right, that's right. Uh, I'm a historian. You are, absolutely. At least you're a Bertha Faye expert. <laughs> but, I mean, I just couldn't believe, like, there was all these pretty girls, and I was like, what is going on here? And they were all valets. None of them worked. Right. Well, you know, it's not enough just to have the Kool-Aid. Sometimes you got to pour the pimp juice. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> There's a quote for a t-shirt. But the cool thing was is that I went in there and <laughs> the first match we had uh, uh, was at the, <laughs> <laughs> the first match we had was at Body Slammer's gym and this but the second was at the arena uh, and that was with against Taz. Now Taz was your killer. He was the ECW killer. Huh. 
and they brought you brought me in and the the, the the finish was that that Taz would basically like he would suplex me on 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 uh, he would suplex me and I would kick out and no one had ever kicked out of Taz's German suplex and that would get me over with the crowd and then after that he would pick me up and literally suplex me on my head and I'd get stretchered out and you're like this will get you over with this crowd because I had long hair and I remember you saying you got to wet your hair you're too pretty for this crowd and some of the people knew me because of tape traders and some didn't but lo and behold they gave me that German suplex I kick out and people started chanting ECW and they threw me on my head and uh, I got carted on a stretcher, and people were cheering for me. But one guy was like, Irvin, you're just as much of a faggot as your father. <laughs> I was like, now, I mean, welcome to New York City. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Philly. Welcome to the East Coast, you know. But you were really good. Like, you could really pick the spots where you knew that your fans would react. You knew your crowd so well. Yeah, well, I mean, I, and I love that crowd, too, because, yeah. you know, they were very demanding. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but we learned our lesson with Tommy Dreamer. Because Dreamer was such a pretty boy when, when uh, you know, in the North. That was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he, he Jinx I love you, Tommy. <laughs> but he was. I mean, he was. You know, he was. He was the second coming of Tom Brandy, mm-hmm. uh, who was his original tag team partner. You know, Sal sincere. And yeah. um, when I when I when I got Tommy, he was in the Northeast Independence, and he was wearing these you know tremendously baggy parachute pants nice. and and suspenders. Yeah, you know, and he had the Guido haircut. Um, and he was such a pretty boy, and we were trying to market him as this as this baby face, you know, the sympathetic baby face. And the Philly crowd would just eat him alive. They they, they would never give him a chance. And you know, we changed his music, and we changed his look, and he started wrestling in a t-shirt, and nothing. Just there was no way they were going to give this pretty boy um, even an inch. And finally, what happened was. Um, we got him over to the Sandman, and and we came up with you know with the Singapore cane, mm-hmm. you know which was hot at the time, and Sandman had been just brutalizing people with that kendo stick, and we came up with the concept of a Singapore cane match where um, the loser would take the ten wax from the cane, and uh, you know the, the match went three or four minutes, and it was so blatant of a screw job, you know, um, you know literally almost. Almost right in front of the referee, and um, and, and and Nancy, a woman, uh, you know, tripped Tommy Dreamer and Sandman. You know, everything from feet on the ropes to holding the yeah. tights to Ball shoulder shot. team up yeah. the two. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like it literally, you know, where it was like, you know, hey, this baby face is getting screwed over on this finish. You know, really wanted the people to understand. To where even the audience is like, oh, come on, that can't be the finish. And Todd Gordon runs down and he goes, referee, referee, I saw it all. And, you know, and they go, oh, here it comes. You know, okay, he's not really going to lose the match. And, and you know, there's no way Tommy Dreamer should take those ten lashes with, with the cane because he didn't lose the match. And uh, she she tripped him and he, he had his feet on the ropes and pulling the tights and pulling the hair and the gimmick and the sternum and the schnabitz and everything else. <laughs> and Tommy Dreamer walks up to the mic and he goes, Todd, this is ECW, and in ECW, we live up to our stipulations. And since I lost this match, I'm going to take those 10 whacks with a cane like a man. Give me your best shot. You know, and he walks and people go, whoa, hey, yeah, this is ECW. You know, becomes it comes a flag waver, you know. Mm-hmm. This is ECW. We do live up to our stipulations. Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah, you take you take that beating, Tommy. You the man. And all of a sudden, you know, we felt that, you know, the turn coming. And, and he goes to the ropes, and he hugs the ropes. And, you know, and, and Nancy says, listen, I'll tell you what. You don't have to take this beating. All you got to do is 
get down and and kiss my feet. And he looks at Sandman and says, come on, give me your best shot. You know, Sandman just, you know, he smokes the cigarette. He takes his time and he hits him that first shot. And you just see the skin on, you know, he, he, peel he open, just yeah. peel open. He just took this most brutal cane shot they had seen. And you know that there's nine more, you know, and, and Nancy just says, you don't want to take another one of those. Come on, disappoint these people. You don't have to live up to the stipulation. Kiss my feet, and I'll make him stop. And Tommy does, you know, you know the the, the famous line, "Thank you, sir. May I have mm-hmm. another?" And Animal House once again. Sandman just lights him up, whack. You know, and people even people went, "Ooh, man, hey, lighten up a little bit," <laughs> you know. And you know, and then say, okay, now that's two. You got eight more people going. Oh my God, this guy's gonna be dead by the time this is over. And uh, he just says, thank you, sir. May I have another, you know? And he took all 10 of them. And, and mm. by the time he took that 10th shot, he was, you know, as over of a baby face as we had in August 94. Yeah. You know, so I just know, okay, you know, that this is the secret. You know, you got to pay your dues in front of them. Mm. You got to let them know you're not a pretty boy. You got to let them know that, you know, you're man enough to man up to ECW. And so by the time you came in, you know, Taz was just the killer. Mm-hmm. You know, he got his hands on somebody. That was it. They, 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 they were Taz. Taz is going to kill you. Yeah. Oh, my God. Chat I got oh, yeah. He, he was the house shooter, you yeah. know? So, you know, for someone. And you did feed guys to him. You would bring guys in and Absolutely. feed them. So I could have just been another, you know, guy coming in to, to lose to Taz in, in a minute. We brought in guys from Japan. We brought in guys from, from UFC. Mm-hmm. We brought in Wee Tie We Tie fighter named Jason Helton. Um, <laughs> from we, Calgary. We, Happy Helton. Oh, was he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, was he, he was. a Calgary guy? He totally we was. We brought yeah. in Johnny Smith from yeah. Calgary. Beef Wellington. Beef Wellington, yeah. which is the, the one Taz match that never made television because uh, <laughs> um, Taz hated it. Yeah. Uh, we brought in you know, we brought in Lucha guys. We brought in we brought in uh, Paul Varlins, the polar yeah. bear f- from UFC. And thank you, Missy Hyatt, for making that happen, which is a story. <laughs> At Pimp Juice. In, in, in and of itself. Um, <laughs> Hashtag Pimp Juice. <laughs> um, so, he just texted me that earlier. <laughs> Paulie did. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, so I mean, we were just feeding him, guys. You know, we, he 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 survived the choke slam from nine one one and choked out nine one one. I mean, nobody stood up to Taz, and so when you came in and Taz suplexed and said, "Ah, fuck it, I'm just going to pin this guy," and you kick out at two, this was big news. Yeah, you know, and then to see you get dumped on your head, literally, and was, people yeah. go, "Oh my god," you know, that that's it for this guy, and yeah. and and sure, on that lit, literally, <laughs> literally. Yeah. It, it was it was a big thing for you, you know. Yeah. And, uh, had you come in and just gone over on somebody, you could have gotten over on your talent. Mm-hmm. But to see that happen to you, and for you to pay your dues in front of that crowd, mm-hmm. by the time you came out the next month, they were ready for you. Yeah, they wanted you. They respected you. They, hey, this ain't no pretty boy. This 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 guy mm-hmm. is a star. And now you had a chance to show your personality too. Right. Well, it, it's interesting because when you started writing SmackDown, I was kind of coming up against the same thing you know had the, the flashy tights long hair and i remember we had the conversation and uh you know you said i want you to be my sting right and i was like okay what does that mean uh just that stalwart baby face i think that that has to try and and you know hold up the integrity of the show and all of those things but it was it was you and it was benoit and it was guerrero and it was angle and you put me in with these guys and all of a sudden, I'm in a cage match with Angle, and he's pulling my hair back, and there's blood flowing down. It's like, oh, he's tough, too. Mm-hmm. And we had to show that because at that point, that hadn't really been shown. It was tag team stuff. And 
even though it was TLCs and you survived that, there was still that stigma. And, um, and, and that, I remember that was what we were having to hurdle was right. that same thing. Right. Well, especially in the TLC matches also, you and Christian were heels. Yeah. So we had to play up that aspect that we're cheating to win. Cheating to win. And, and, and when you go through the table, you're a puss who, who got his comeuppance, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we, you know, take, when, I, when I started writing SmackDown and I'm looking for the next great lead baby face, um, and here you are, and you know, untapped mm-hmm. as a lead babyface, untapped as as a singles, and um, and all that you had to offer, the right look, fantastic on promos, um, but they'd only seen you in, in the guise of you and Christian together. But I could tell you could carry your own, and your psychology was on the money, and just and your work was just stellar. You know, th- this was my this was going to be my top babyface. So. Um, the people had to see you in in a manner that they hadn't envisioned you before, where you know the TLC matches were crash and burn, and again as a heel and as a puss. But this time you're in there with Kurt Angle, you know the Olympic shooter, and he's beating your ass, and you're not tapping, and you're not quitting, you know, and, and you're gritting your teeth with a face full of blood, and you're crawling up on the turnbuckles and turning around, going, "Come on, you son of a bitch! What else you got? Because I'm coming for you." And you're coming back for him, and you're taking these beatings, and you're being suplexed by Benoit or by Eddie Guerrero, you know. And it is just um, that the people live vicariously through you, you know. And it's not that you're a pretty boy; it doesn't matter that you look good. The, the guys stop being jealous of you because the girls are squ- are, are screaming mm-hmm. for you. The guys are sitting there going, "Man, you know what? I wish I was a good-looking mm-hmm. dude that was tough like him." You know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers. And you know why? Because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter. Because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom. Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us. And less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I got to deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door. So no more last minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house, meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Talk is Jericho. All right, we're back with Edge and Paul Heyman. Paul, let me ask you this. Did you have, um, you know, this is the early 2000s, and as funny as it was, the business has changed so much now, and it's, it's, it was still old school enough there where there was a war behind the scenes politically. There was a lot of backstabbing going on. I mean, it was, you know, for a long time. Did you get a lot of resistance because you wanted to push Edge and Jericho and Benoit and Eddie from the powers that be, from Vince and from, from those guys? The funniest thing is when, when, when they split the writing team and Brian Gewurz became the lead writer of Raw and I became the lead writer of SmackDown. SmackDown was 
facing cancellation. Really? Yeah. So Dean Valentine, who was the head of the UPN network at the time, SmackDown was really on the fence. Yeah. And uh, all eyes were on Raw internally because the the Raw ratings had dropped. Because this was now, we we were getting into 2002. And once we got past WrestleMania, which was WrestleMania 18, in 2002, Raw had Raw's ratings had slipped dramatically enough that it became all hands on deck, all eyes on Raw. And my job literally was just to take SmackDown off their plate. Hey, listen, you don't have to worry about SmackDown. You don't have to stress about SmackDown. I got this covered. And you know what? I'll build up a bunch of guys for you that maybe you'd like to pluck out and deliver to Raw. Of course, <laughs> once they started doing that, I didn't like it at all and got very <laughs> defensive. But it was a way to keep them away from me at the beginning so I could set the table so I could get these guys in the right, you know, the, the famous SmackDown 6, mm-hmm. you know. I had Brock Lesnar, but Brock was on both shows. Because yeah. um, he was the champ. Because he was the well, No, 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 not yet. He oh, had just okay. started. Okay. So we, but we, SmackDown 6 was, was Edge... Benoit, Eddie, Chavo. Ray, Chavo, Chavo, and Angle, right? Yes. Because yeah, I was on Raw at that time. Yes, yeah. yes. You had you moved over to Raw. Yes. Yeah, they gave after, you after our deal got We had a big yeah. thing in the cage, and I remember they moved me to Raw after we had this amazing thing. It was you and Cena and Ray, and they, they, Vince moved here. I remember asking him, I said, Vince, do you like money? And he went, of course I like money. Then why are you moving me to Raw? This is going, we had such a cool thing well, going. It was the first instance where I was like, these are two separate shows. Yeah, and our show was killing it. And yeah. But they moved me to Raw. I think that was one of the reasons, because Raw ratings were in a bad they, state. They, they were moving you to Raw, and we were getting nothing for it. And right. I put up a huge fight. Because yeah, you used to do trades. Right. Yeah. And I put up a huge fight about it. And I was really, really angry. I was like, wait a second. How, how could you take this main eventer away from me and... Look at the momentum Edge is building, and it's not just because of Adam. You need someone to put that momentum on him, and Jericho is making this guy. And you're just gonna you're gonna take him away from me prematurely. Um, And Vince says, "Well, what can I do to uh, to compensate you for that?" And I'm I'm sitting there, and, and the general manager of SmackDown at the time on air was Stephanie. And I said, well, shouldn't Stephanie pull a raid? If Bischoff can pluck Jericho, Mm. why can't Stephanie respond with a raid? And who do you want? And he's thinking I'm going to say, you know, one of the, you know, like Stone Cold Steve Austin or somebody. And I said, "Um, well, you have Benoit and Eddie Guerrero over there as the NWO's whipping boys. They're the vanilla midgets. (laughs) Give me Benoit Guerrero. And everybody in the room laughed at me. Bruce Pritchard and uh, and 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 Vince and uh, and half the TV guys that, that were in the room. They go and why laughing? Because they didn't think they had personality. They. What do you mean you want Ben Juan Guerrero? I said, don't really give me Ben Juan Guerrero, because to them these were the NWO's whipping boys. Mm-hmm. They, they, what, what do you mean you, you're gonna, you're going to lose Jericho? Mm-hmm. And you're asking for Benoit Guerrero? <laughs> it's like no, a double whammy. Yeah. No wonder Raw is the flagship show. And then I remember because Rock and I worked them in a tag match. Right. I went with Eddie. Rock went with Chris. Right. Mm. And I said, okay, here we go. Mm. Now I got Benoit and Guerrero on the show. So I can team Edge up with Ray. I can team the yeah. Guerreros together. And I can make Benoit and Angle 
my quote-unquote shooter tag team that doesn't get along and build to more Benoit angle matches. But what this bought me was, number one, Raw didn't really have a tag team scene. Now SmackDown has three tag teams that are just balls to the wall. I got Edge and Ray. Mm -hmm. I got the Guerreros. I got Benoit Angle. But what this also buys me is a chance for all six of these guys to main event against each other. Rey Mysterio, as a main eventer in WWE (laughs) in 2002, was a fantasy. It was unfathomable. But Rey Mysterio versus Chris Benoit, or Rey Mysterio versus Kurt Angle, or Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero was a possibility. And you have Chavo and Edge in the corners, or you have or you have Kurt in the corner if it's Chris, or you have Chris in the corner if it's Kurt. So now I'm rubbing everybody up against each other. So you can have Edge versus Angle, or Edge versus Eddie, or Edge versus Benoit, or Ray versus Angle, or Ray versus Benoit, Ray versus Ed, Eddie versus, you know. Possibilities uh, are endless. Endless. And you can put them in your main event because you have these three teams intertwined with each other, and it's a long-term program, and it's storytelling. So if you build that TV show to that final segment, and the ratings were holding, and the ratings would work. So that by the time we are four, five, six weeks into the SmackDown 6 era with Benoit and Guerrero on the show, nobody's laughing mm-hmm. because we're doing three sixes and three sevens against heavy competition from the final season of Friends. Thursday nights. Um, yeah. Survivor. Right. The biggest yeah. night in yeah. TV. And our ratings are just going through the roof. And, and and we're doing real numbers, and the main events are holding on the minute-by-minutes, which we're obsessed over, and now all of a sudden, Edge is a commodity, and Ray's a commodity, and Kurt's a commodity, and Eddie's a commodity, and now these guys are all becoming single stars based on the grouping together in that tag team scenario that really wasn't a tag team scenario. It was an excuse to feature them in the main events and make them all main event stars. It was interesting, too, because we took it as a gang mentality. We were like, we're the show that can go. Mm-hmm. And we'll show every week why we're the show that can mm-hmm. go. And it really did take it as a, as a gang mentality to try and to try and beat Raw. And I remember when I came back from my neck injury, I went to Raw, and I did not want to. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. It, as crazy as it sounds, there really was like two teams. There was Raw and SmackDown. I remember being on Raw, watching all you guys, and like, I want to be on those guys' <laughs> team. Because ours was the talking show. The, it was, ours was the A show, which meant, I don't even know what that meant. A talking, promos. a lot of promos, a lot of angles. And not a lot of wrestling time. Well, your guys' was the wrestling show. Yeah, well, we based we, around and we wrestling. were fighting for it. I mean, we you know, we, and we bitched about everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, I, I wanted different agents mm. than the Raw agents because I wanted I I really wanted that. The only thing that I brought with me to SmackDown that was the same mentality that I had in ECW was us versus them. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I, SmackDown wasn't extreme. We did do one. We did do the, the, a TLC match. Mm-hmm. We did. We did the. Uh, we did the four way. I remember match. that was the night after Triple H uh, tore his quad. Right. It was a whole um, rewrite, and that was right. like the forgotten TLC. It was a great match, right. but no one ever talks about it. Yeah, that's where uh, Chris <laughs> hurt his neck, and um, 
But uh, I didn't do anything extreme on that show. Mm. But I did take with me, I did bring with me that us versus them. Vince wanted competition, and I wanted to compete mm-hmm. with Raw. I wanted to whip Raw's ass. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make new stars. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get out of people what nobody else could get out of them. So I wanted different agents. Hey, you know, here, here, here's a story. Um, I mean, th- this, th- this was a bloody war. I would fly back on Air McMahon. Uh, on Tuesday night, Vince's private jet, and um, I would my only day off of the week was Wednesday, but I would come into the studio Wednesday nights and have Taz and Michael Cole, who hated me for this, I would have them revoice over the whole show, because much like with Joey Styles and ECW, I knew certain things that I wanted said about the characters that would never have gotten through. Live at the event because it would have been micromanaged and second guessed and overanalyzed. But I could get away with it in the studio in post production. Does Vince even watch the shows? I mean, he must not. Well, it ended up that he started getting memos as to all the wild lines I was throwing in. Okay, of course. And I was called on it, but I could (laughs) defend them. Why did you say this guy is a future Hall of Famer? God damn, he's just he's just in a tag team, yeah. But if we say he's a future Hall of Famer now, people are going to sit there and say, "Wow!" And I'm seeing the emergence of him as a single star. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's an that's an interesting point. Uh, it's clever marketing, you know. <laughs> um, so by by the time that they realize these little things that you know that we're throwing in, and we would always take jabs at Raw. Yeah, I would have Michael Cole and Taz take as many jabs at Raw as I could possibly get away with before there would be backlash against me. Um, but what happened was that we were heading into SummerSlam, and there were two main events, Triple H versus Shawn Michaels and Brock Lesnar in his first title match ever against The Rock. The Rock yeah. And about three weeks before the show, um, the first draft of SummerSlam comes out, and it's determined that Brock and The Rock will finish the show. And I looked at it, and I said, and I I looked at the final notes. Jr. and Jerry Lawler sign off. And I looked at Kevin Dunn. We were on the plane flying back that night, and I said, "Well, this is a mistake because this is Michael Cole and Taz signing off." And Vince says, well, "Why would they sign off?" I said, "Because that's a SmackDown match." You're not going to have your Raw team called The Rock versus Brock, are you? He says, well, JR and Jerry Lawler are our uh, pay-per-view broadcast team. And Michael Cole and Taz are both on the plane, and Kevin Dunn says, yeah, your guys are the B team. Right JR aloud. and Jerry Lawler are the A team. They call the pay-per-views. And I turned to Taz and Michael Cole, and I said, now you understand why I come in Wednesdays to the studio. Mm. And I looked at both Vince and Kevin Dunn, and I said, um, this is a hill for me to die on. Michael Cole and Taz should broadcast uh, The Rock versus Brock because, number one, they're the SmackDown team. Number two, I don't know how much JR and Jerry Lawler will know of the intricate storylines that we're telling on SmackDown about The Rock versus Brock. And number three, your Raw team is much like your Raw show. It's the B team on the B show, and it could be the personal favorite here as the flagship 
but we're whipping Raw's ass in terms of viewership. We're drawing more on the split house shows. Our merchandise sells better. And unless you want a B team calling your calling your title match, Michael Cole and Taz should close the show. And the heat on me for that was so <laughs> huge. And when I showed up the next day at the studio to post-produce them, they were both on their game because now they realize, number one, they had a chance. And number two, if they had that chance, it was one chance to step up and to do it. And it came down, you know, like, like most other decisions, it became a day of decision. Mm-hmm. And we were fighting about it and fighting about it and fighting about it and, and passionately fighting about it. And, fine, you know, Vince finally said, fine, your guys will, 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 will close out the show and uh, you just better hope they don't screw this up, you know. <laughs> and they knocked it out of the park. They really told a great story. And uh, and so that from then on, when the Raw matches were in the ring, the Raw team called it. And when the SmackDown matches were in the mm-hmm, ring, that's right. the SmackDown announcers called it. So we can thank you for seeing Michael Cole on a singlet at WrestleMania. <laughs> I'm blaming you now. Well, <laughs> horrible I'm, jailhouse tattoos. I never booked him as a wrestler. <laughs> I said he was an A-team announcer. Back then, with me post-producing him, not that I have anything against Michael Cole, I love him, and he... Shout out to Michael Cole. Michael Cole. Michael Cole. And Tom, Michael Cole. and Chad from the Hilton, and uh, Pee Wee Starducci, or whatever. No, no, no. Birnbaum. <laughs> thank you. I almost said Guggenheim. <laughs> Did and you... you know what? Shout out to Pee Wee Guggenheim, too, as well. Okay. Did you used to get in some pretty big fights with Vince creatively? Because, I mean, obviously, you were Paul Heyman coming from ECW. You ran the show. You're now the head writer of SmackDown. There must have been some real arguments with Vince to where you probably didn't care if you were going to get yelled at or fired or whatever. Yeah, I, I kind of pushed my boundaries a lot mm-hmm. with him. You know, I, I just... Well, you know, the thing is, I was brought in to be the contrarian opinion. In the uh, writing room. Oh, absolutely. Not to be a yes man. Oh, I, I, yeah. I was told never be a yes man. I was told... Always give me the other side sometimes, even take the devil's advocate position just so I hear even an argument it, right. against it. Right. So, I mean, and, and, and that was great for a while, and then it wore thin on him. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and then, and then uh, the arguments became bickering mm-hmm. or they became personal or, 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 or there was just something. I would say something on a day he wasn't in the mood to hear it. Right. You know? And honestly, I, 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 as JR would point out, you know, I didn't pick my hills to die on. Mm-hmm. You know, I would fight equally as hard for an opening act. Well, but, and, and I'm not picking on him because I happen to like him. And, and I'm, I'm actually the guy that recommended him to be an agent. But I would fight just as hard for Jamie Noble and Nydia. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean Jamie Noble and Nydia don't have a promo on this show? <laughs> They're so good together. we we, we got to give Jamie Noble and Nydia time, you know, <laughs> as, as I would for Brock Lesnar versus The yeah. Undertaker on SmackDown building up to a, you know, a, a, a pay-per-view main event. Um, and so I would fight for everything that I believed in with such passion that it just I, I, I wore out my welcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember you would always say there was some serious wars going on and that sort of thing. But I mean, you're a very opinionated guy, and also it come from you knew it worked. And sometimes Vince doesn't like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and 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 I wouldn't flinch either. You yeah. know, it was just um, he he could uh, he could get his ma- you know sometimes he gets so volatile with people mm-hmm. and they just cower because you know number one not just because well, number one he's the owner of the company so right there you sit to go oh man there goes my job yeah number two who, who wants to deal with that and number three he's an he is an overpowering personality mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know and when Vince is in the room a lot of the oxygen goes his way yeah you know intimidating so, guy. so so when he, he appreciates when you stand up yeah too. you have to that's you where you get to. true respect from Vince yeah. is when you tell him 
what you think is right. As long as your argument has some merit. If it has merit, yeah. yeah if yeah, it yeah. has legs, then yeah. If you have yeah. To, yeah. If you're, if you're, if it's just a great display of schmuckery. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you're not going to last along with them. But but yeah, I mean, I, I, I would fight for a lot of the things that I believed in. And thank God, a lot of the things that I had fought for um, ended up being true. Again, go, just going back to when uh, Austin and Triple H were on the two-man power trip. Yeah. And they were running with Undertaker and Kane. And I could feel we needed a real youth movement and we needed something new and different on top. Because coming out of the Attitude Era, Austin had run with Undertaker and Kane for so long. Mm -hmm. And then Triple H was involved in in these things. And it's like, man, you need fresh blood on top. And, you know, came that famous decision to have Austin and Triple H against Benoit and Jericho. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, which you know got cut short with Triple H blew out his Yeah, quad, yeah. We're supposed to go to Benoit and Triple H, and then me and Steve. And, so, yeah. but still, we got singles matches of Austin versus Jericho and Austin versus Benoit. And plus, you got the what a lot of people say is the best Raw match of all time with where we won the titles. Right. The day Triple H tore his quad. Right. Tore in that match, right? In that match, yeah. And, and kept going. Yeah. And, and, and got put in the walls of Jericho yeah. on the desk. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, I asked him, I said, are you sure you want to do this? He said, do it, do it. And then ran back in the ring to hit Steve with the sledgehammer to lead to the finish. And if you've ever torn anything... Yeah, that's not it. Let alone your yeah. quad. I got a lot of respect for him yeah. on that day. Oh, he was all man that night. Yeah, I he mean, sure he, was. Man. Sure was. He sure was. But. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Talk is Jericho. Okay, I'm still here with Paul Heyman and Edge. And as we're getting ready to wrap things up, I'm going to throw a couple names at you, Paul, and tell me your thoughts. Sabu. Thank God for Sabu back in Mm -hmm. 1993. uh, Because he definitely was a standard bearer and an, and an innovator uh, and, and separated ECW from anybody else that was out there. He was so unique at the time. Um, and also, I don't know if the movement in ECW with the luchadors and uh, talent that wasn't big monsters mm-hmm. would have ever truly caught hold if it wasn't for Sabu. Mm-hmm. Because uh, when, when we started Sabu, he was two hundred, probably two hundred and ten, yeah. two hundred fifteen pounds. I know I'll get a text from you know a call going, "Hey bastard, I was two twenty five. You know, um, but he but cracked I mean, that door. He yeah, did. He was yeah. a pioneer. People forget that. You know, he he, he, he was he was Hoist Gracie. He was Bruce. You know, with all the scars, mm-hmm. I always saw him as Bruce Lee. Mm. You know, kind of similar build too. Yeah. yeah, you know, and he was just. He, he he had this magnificent look, and you know, with all the scars, and he had that mean face, looked like the Sheik, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, he wasn't a big guy, but but he was definitely the top guy. So it didn't matter who I put him against, mm-hmm. um, or against whom. I'm sorry. Um, you could accept that a guy at 210 pounds could be the toughest guy in the universe. He could be a top guy. He could be a main eventer. So um, for everybody that came after him. Um, I think Sabu's the one that broke that barrier. Mm-hmm. More so than the tables and, and all the other things that he's Just known for. Just from being for. a smaller guy. From being a smaller mm-hmm. guy that could be the, that, that, that a promotion could be built around. Mm, interesting. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, Shane Douglas. In 1994, I don't think there was a person in the industry doing more compelling promos than Shane Douglas. I don't think anybody could have been our ch- our champion to call out other champions. Taz later could play that role, but he wasn't ready in 1994. Um Shane was a great example of wasted talent from other promotions mm. that could be rebranded in ECW, and um, he was he was the spokesman. You know, everybody everybody really had their roles at the beginning. The Public Enemy was was, um, was was definitely a major major in house act, and they were the first act that I used on the first show that I, I became the Booker, the mm-hmm. lead writer, director, producer, whatever, whatever the hell a Booker really is or was back then, uh, they were the first act that I used at Ultra Clash 93 in September 1993. Uh, um, and, and, and they were, to me, the, the, uh, the epitome of, of early-day ECW. At the same time, you had Terry Funk as the respected veteran who was putting over all the young guys. You had Sabu as this, as again, he's the epitome of ECW because he's so different, he's so wild. There's no disqualifications or countouts in his matches, mm-hmm. so he's implementing a new style. And then you have Shane Douglas, who you know, you know the uh, the classic wrestling yeah. top guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, well built, trunks, yeah. um, yeah. trunks, you know, uh, um, and comes out and cuts his promo. You know, I am the franchise, which is just another way of saying I'm the top guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the top guy. I'm it's a the great nickname. Bear. I still always thought it was um, one of the best. Franchise is so cool. Franchise player. Um, and he just, I mean, he carried it. And, and you believed in him. Mm-hmm. And you believed that when he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the best in this industry today, you know. And, and, and I would be in WCW, but Ric Flair won't step aside. I would be, you know, <laughs> I would be here. And, and people believed him, man. And he, he had such passion. And he was so angry and so bitter. And, you know, this, the same way Austin was when Austin came out mm-hmm, of WCW. Yeah. So, I mean, at, at the time, no one could touch him on the mic. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we opened up one TV show in 94. Did a Thirty-minute interview with him, mm. and he carried it. Right, it wasn't boring. Oh, not at all. You know, when I first came to ECW, I was really uh, impressed with the family atmosphere. And Shane, he might have been the champion if he wasn't. Obviously, one of the top guys. And him and Tommy were super cool right from the start. Helped me out, took me aside, gave me a ride. You know, and when you come in as a new guy, I didn't know anybody, and they were always like they kind of took me not under their wing, but kind of made me feel welcome. You know, and I really appreciated that. I always think that about Shane. Um, how about Raven? I don't think there was a character that I had a hand in developing that I enjoyed working with as much as I did when Raven came to ECW. Anybody that knows Scott Levy knows he is the antithesis of that character. Uh, what, what do you mean? Yeah, punches something like again. <laughs> eh, I don't know. He is the silliest, goofiest <laughs> bastard. Big time to this day. I mean, takes nothing. I mean, yeah. seriously, you know, it's seriously joking, but I mean, he, he, he could be in the middle of the worst <laughs> catastrophe <laughs> in American history, and he'll go, eh. Look at this! Hey, hey, we took a roast marshmallows in that fire. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, just yeah. Not, nuclear bomb fire. Nothing, yeah. nothing. He takes nothing seriously, <laughs> and 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 then he he goes. He truly could walk into the skin of that character, and here's Stevie and the Blue Meanie <laughs> doing the <laughs> stupidest, silliest, goofiest stuff. 
any promotion was putting on in the United mm-hmm. States, let alone in the world at the time, and he would never even crack a smirk. There was no way to get him to break character once he walked into that character. Here's what I've also found was so genius about about the portrayal of Raven. Everything about the character would scream babyface. He he was so sympathetic in his story. He had an alcoholic father. He had an inattentive mother that didn't interfere with the alcoholic father. He was constantly fighting over keeping the girl from camp that both he and Tommy Dreamer fell in love with, Tula McGillicuddy. He had no peace in his life. He had no peace of mind in his life. And everything about that character would say, wow, I'm sympathetic towards him. I feel his pain. And yet, the manner in which he went about taking out his aggressions on his opponents, on the audience, and even his commentary on society at large got him so much heat. And here's a guy that I I would suggest in 1995, 1996, was amongst the top five workers in the entire industry, especially when it came to being a champion, defending the title, false finishes. And yet, in front of that crowd, that appreciates great mm-hmm. work, no one ever cheered him. Right. No one. You've never heard a Raven chant. Never, never once even a, a popular section of the audience, even the rebels in the rebel crowd didn't break off with a mm-hmm. Raven chant. Nobody appreciated him, which was his designation. That was his genius at the time. He could make everybody hate that character and love the opponent. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. Well, how about let's go to uh, some of the guys you've been working with uh, recently. How about Curtis Axel? Curtis Axel was far better off without me than with me. Uh, Curtis Axel was put in a very unenviable position. Um, when, when we went with CM Punk splitting away from Heyman, obviously the big money match was going to be Punk versus Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. But the story... It's so many layers. It was so deep. And just using the footage off of Punk's DVD slash documentary about all the things that he said about us working together and that he owed his career to Paul Heyman, that he kept his name in WWE because of me, which is true. Mm -hmm. Just to throw it away after SummerSlam wouldn't have made any sense. He had no natural rivalries here. Right. So you had to continue Punk versus Heyman, even without Brock. And when you have that type of momentum on someone that just turned, you can't just start getting heat on him every night, and you can't just have Curtis Axel start beating Punk everywhere. So literally it became, to get to Paul Heyman, you have to go through Curtis Axel. So instead of giving Curtis Axel a chance to get some legs underneath him and giving him that theoretical year Mm -hmm. to become a recognized superstar, he immediately got fed to CM Punk. He became uh, my designated beatdown guy. Yeah, he became the sacrificial lamb almost. Absolutely. 
it, perfect. It, it was, well, you know, no pun intended, but that's a perfect description for it. Um, yeah, he, he became the sacrificial lamb because you couldn't just have punk beat me up every week on TV. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so Curtis Axel had to play the role as Patterson and Briscoe did years ago for <laughs> Vince. Uh, you couldn't have Austin get to Vince every week. Uh, and you could have punk get to me every week or they wouldn't pay to see it. Right. So Curtis Axel's biggest career break was the biggest albatross around his neck at the very same time. He got a chance to get rid of the Michael McGillicuddy name. He got a chance to step up, acknowledge his heritage, got a chance to step up into the main event spotlight against a freshly turned CM Punk. And yet, at the same time, he had to become that sacrificial lamb. Right, so you think he's better off on his own because he gets a chance to kind of grow and, and, and kind of live and die by himself for a while without the pressure? Yeah, his, it, also, the expectations of what a Paul Heyman guy is in WWE yeah. uh, it was something that nobody who's just fresh on television, unless you have you know a 15, 20-year body of work, it's unfair to put that tag on somebody. Yeah. The, the only two Paul Heyman guys that had, uh, or the only two people that have been branded Paul Heyman guys since I came back had been Brock Lesnar and CM Punk. Mm-hmm. And CM Punk, when he became a Paul Heyman guy, was already the WWE champion. Right. Brock Lesnar is Brock Lesnar. So to put someone who is in some ways a rookie, even though Curtis Axel had th- these years of experience, it wasn't on television as a marketed commodity so to anoint someone into that stratosphere the expectation levels were unrealistic on him both behind the scenes and from the public and add the fact that he's the son of one of the most revered and best performers of all time and so you got a real perfect storm of pressure yes it is it it, it, it he got Talk about, you know, from the frying pan into the fire. Right. You know, so now he has a chance to, to to work from a position of with the expectations. And not that he can't live up to the expectations, but certainly in that program with Punk, there was no way, no matter what governors you took off Curtis Axel, mm-hmm. there was no way for him to live up to that expectation because the only way for him to do it would be to mop the floor with CM Punk. Yeah which would have been bad business. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're right. You're right. Um, it's, it's being booked into a corner. Yeah. And I think you're right. He's better off on his own to kind of spread his own wings. Um, and to kind of, like you said, to, to, to take that pressure away from him right now. Uh, let's go to the guy that, that we all love. Um, uh, talking about the King of swing Cesaro. Now, edge, I know you say you don't watch a lot of what's going on, but this guy's the real deal. I have seen him, um, and I know you know he came up as much as you can in in kind of the old territory way that you can now with Ring of Honor, and um, you know through there. And uh, I'd actually met him once before, and you know seemed like a really nice guy, you know. And then talked to him and met him uh, when I did, you know, and have done appearances with WWE. And um, he's got a you know good head and his shoulders, and just you know he, he gets it. Yeah, exactly. Now, 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 Paul, what do you think uh, about this, the Cesaro, the king of swing, as you've deemed him? I'm a huge fan of Cesaro, and anybody that saw his matches with Sammy at NXT can see why. Um, this is the prototypical champion, mm-hmm. because he always makes the opponent look better. Um, it's funny that at times when you and not that I spend any time looking back 
guess I don't. But <laughs> if, if you look back on an ECW and you ask people, who was your favorite opponent in ECW? Everybody says Lance Storm. Hmm. Anybody that worked with Lance Storm will say, my favorite opponent was Lance Storm. It, it's amazing how many people will express to you their admiration for what he can do in the ring. Right. He always made the other guy look so much better. Um, now, there are some people in this business that serve that role so well, it's to their own detriment, and they can never become an attraction. They're only an opponent. And mm -hmm. there's a big difference between an opponent and an attraction. But Cesaro, to me, can be a huge attraction. He has a very quiet charisma. He's Jason Statham. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I actually, he, I, he I, requ like I requested to work with him when we did uh, a tour of Japan last year because I knew how good he was. You could just see that. And I still remember Vince was like, well, okay, sounds good, but I don't know if he's got it. Like Vince was kind of concerned that he was boring or whatever it was, which is why he had so many different gimmicks. But as always is the case, the work shines through, and now he's getting the, you know, getting the respect of being an incredible performer uh, all across the board. Yeah, he, he, he's, he's something really, really special. He's a super intelligent human being. Um, you know, they publicize he speaks five languages. He's an intellectual. He's an intellectual, and he studies things, and he looks at things, and he analyzes things. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, he can. He can work his balls off. Uh, he has a tremendous future. And, and again, going back to what we were saying about Raven, he understands how to put things together. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. he understands the room. So when he walks into the room, you know, he knows how to own the audience. Even if that audience is there saying, tonight we're going to cheer this guy, he can, turn your, he can turn that emotion around on you. And if he decides, you know what, I'm going to make these people stand up and chant my name, he can cause that to happen. He's... He's really mm -hmm. talented. He's untapped potential. And here's the most exciting thing about it. And I know it sounds like I'm doing a promo on him or that I'm hyping him. You haven't even seen 50% of this guy in WWE yet. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And I love the fact, too, that even though he's with you as, as a Paul Heyman guy, he's still getting cheered. So there's an interesting dynamic. Sometimes he's getting booed. Sometimes he's getting cheered. But you always get booed. So that adds a little bit of uh, it's an interesting mix. You know what? As long as people are reacting, that's right. I, you know, I listen. The the biggest merchandise seller in WWE today, and perhaps even in history, right? When you look at when you look at it, you know, overall, is John Cena. Yes. Nobody today even comes close. Nobody. The the the, the numbers that John Cena sells in merchandise are mind boggling. And yet, when John Cena walks out on television, he's far more booed than he is <laughs> cheered. That's right, yeah. I, and, and, you know, and, and everybody looks at him and they go, oh, man, you know, come on. Even when he comes in the back and he walks into a room by himself, he has to sit there and go, damn it. No, he doesn't. Mm -hmm. No, he doesn't. Because they're reacting. They are reacting. The day to be scared is when you walk out and they go, eh, let's break. 
<laughs> That's right. But there's no piss break when John Cena walks out. When John <laughs> Cena walks out, it's must see. You know, Cena sucks or let's go Cena. They're chanting something at this guy. No one's silent, no one's sitting. Mm -hmm. So with Cesaro, I feel it's the same thing. And boy, wouldn't that be wonderful if it's on that level, you know? It's, yes. They want to cheer Cesaro, cheer him loud. They want to boo Cesaro, boo him with passion. As long as they're reacting to him, I know we're doing our job. Yeah, just make noise. All right, last question. I want to know, what's your favorite match that you've ever uh, ever seen? Uh, maybe you were involved in it, or maybe uh, maybe you've just watched it. Let's start with you, Edge. That's that's so hard. It's so subjective. But you know, my favorites. I mean, you got to throw in. There's just so many. There's there's Savage Steamboat. There's yeah. Austin Hart the submission match. I mean, there's oh yeah. Uh, there's the Iron Man match. Uh, Sean and Brett. Um, yeah, the Hogan Warrior WrestleMania six. I, I mean, I was there. I felt that. So I, I can't. Yeah. It's tough. All right, Paul, what do you think? What's your favorite match, maybe from ECW or from all the different things that you've seen and done? Well, you know, actually, in a way, my favorite match from ECW was Beulah McGillicuddy versus Bill Alfonso. Really? Yeah. Why? Not because of, well, not just because of what happened in public, but because of what happened behind the scenes with it. Um the match was, was Tommy Dreamer and Dylan McGillicuddy versus Rob Van Dam and Bill Alfonso. And it was designed to be Bill Alfonso's last night. What, what happened was that the, the whole situation of, you know, which got branded the mole, but um, Todd Gordon mm -hmm. made a play and tried to take several ECW talents with him to WCW. Oh, okay. In in some conversations with Terry Taylor, who was the head of talent at the time. Right. Um, and I found out about it. And the only one ended up, that ended up jumping was was, was Terry Saturn. Hmm. But the person who was most enthusiastic about this jump with Todd was Bill Alfonso. And, and we <laughs> knew this. We, we you know, we... We heard the conversations. <laughs> so Fondy, who was a salty veteran, he spent you know, how many years as a referee in Florida, and he learned from Eddie Graham and Dusty Rhodes and Kevin Sullivan. Mm -hmm. and what, what didn't he know about this business? So you know, a couple weeks before the match, I pull Fonzie aside, and I say, you know what has to happen here? you, you got to go. This is it. I'm, you know, we're going we're gonna to wrap you up at the arena. We're going to blow it off, and that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, down the road, you know, we can do business again. But as for now, I can't keep you here. It's the wrong message. And, hey, you're guilty of this. you got to go. That's it. Right. So we get to the ECW arena, and the whole concept of the match is that Dreamer and Van Dam are going to wipe each other out, and we're going to leave it down to Beulah and Fonzie. Now, Fonzie had been a referee for many, many years, and we, we then put him with Taz, and then from Taz he went with Sabu and Van Dam. So he's not a day, you know, an everyday worker. He's not, a, he's not taking bumps. He's, he's, not, he's not giving uh, he's giving out punishment. He's not receiving punishment every day. Right. He's not a worker. Yes. And Beulah was, was a model, um, you know, and, and she, I think if she, if she ever trained to be a wrestler, 
when she played Brian Pillman's sister in Calgary for two weeks, mm-hmm. maybe maybe they showed her a move or two. But yeah, maybe, I, right. I, I, I don't know. I mean, and certainly that was that was years before she came to ECW, and then, then she had no experience in the business. She she came to ECW because she met Raven at a Super Bowl party. Okay, so it's not a trained worker. Yeah, they put on five minutes of the most intense, the most physical, <laughs> the most realistic, the most hard hitting, the best sold, the best played out, the best story. They 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 gave five of the most intense, realistic minutes in ECW history. I know there's going to be a bunch of people saying, well, what about Zeppu and Terry Funk in, in the barbed wire match? And that, that's a whole different category. Yes. But when you put two non-workers in the ring and you say, fight it out, and the fight is so realistic. Yeah, she beat the crap out of him. Believes it. Absolutely. The crowd was going absolutely bonkers. The guys in the back thinking, wow, not even realizing, wait a minute, here it is. Step one leads to step two leads to step three. Look, look at the story that's playing out. It makes a lot of sense. And the guys in the back think, oh, my God, they're killing each other. Yes. And, <laughs> and this, of course, at the end, Bula pins Fonzie, and that's it. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Thank you for your contributions. You know, in the old, the, 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 the old stereotypical, we wish you well in your future endeavors. Yes. <laughs> well, Fonzie hit a gusher. Bill Alfonso nearly bled, legitimately nearly bled to death in that match. Yeah, he hit an artery or something, right? Oh, my God. He was, he, he, he lost, I don't remember what the figure is. But I don't, I, I, I so don't want to embellish this to take away from the credibility of the story that I'm telling you. Yeah. But whatever amount of blood he lost, he should have died. So when they said, you lost this much blood, thank God, so much of his blood was probably alcohol. And he lost <laughs> more alcohol than he lost blood. That's right. So. <laughs> Here's Fonzie covered, I mean, covered, like, you know, head to toe in blood. And he walks into the dressing room, and I understood exactly what he did. And I pulled him aside, and I said, well, congratulations. Now I can't fire you. (laughs) Now you have to stay. You beat me. You played me. You manipulated the situation. You went up against the owner of the company, and guess what? I did the job for you. You won. Because how can you fire the guy that almost died putting over the top valet in the company? What an asshole move that would be by that's, me. That's right. He beat me. Oh, he totally beat me. He, he came behind the scenes, and he went out to the ring, and he played the situation so well that I, there was absolutely, positively no way that I could fire him. He won. I lost. And at the end of the day, I did the job for Bill Alfonso. <laughs> oh, great story and great, great last couple hours. It's been just amazing uh, reconnecting with you, Paul. And thanks to you, Edge, for being an amazing co-host. I am a fellow talking head. And <laughs> we ain't talking about David Byrne. Qu'est-ce que c'est? <laughs> And thanks to the Hilton Times Square for having us and letting us stay over time. And, Paulie, it's been uh, 20 years, and I thank you so much for doing this today. It's uh, always a pleasure to, to get a chance to, to hang out with you and talk to you. Pleasure's all mine. So next week, there's going to be a very special episode of Talk is Jericho on YouTube only. It's a Talk is Jericho YouTube exclusive. Okay, I'm, uh, the, my guest on this show is going to be Daniel House. Now you're saying to yourself, who's Daniel House? 
I'll tell you, Daniel is a huge Fozzie fan. He's a major Jericho-holic. I met him last December in Australia at a Fozzie show. We brought him backstage and hung out with him because we heard he only had a few weeks, months left to live. He has a very, very terminal form of cancer, and he doesn't have a lot of time left, according to his doctors. Yet here we are in June. He's still with us. And I have never met somebody who's been so brave, so inspiring, so inspirational. So, uh, he, you know, he's living with his boots on. Iron Maiden has the song Dying With His Boots On. He's living with his boots on, making the most out of the time he has left with great humor, great pathos. He's telling his story basically on Facebook and on Instagram. And he's uh, one of my heroes at this point, and for everybody in Fozzie as well. Nothing but respect for Daniel House, nothing but um, but real, true uh, feelings for this guy. And I wanted to share his story with you. He's got a very thick accent. He's from Tasmania. But bear with him when you start uh, listening and, and understanding what he's saying. Uh, wow, what a story, uh, what an inspiring guy and very brave. And this is something that's going to happen to all of us. We're going to have to all deal with, with death uh, at some point in our lives. And Daniel's dealing uh, with it with his middle fingers in the air, uh, looking at it, heading into, uh, into it face first. Definitely something I want you guys to, to check out, and I think you're going to really enjoy this show, and you're going you're gonna to cry. It's very, very emotional. So Monday, Google YouTube Podcast One Sports and take a listen to the amazing Daniel House. It's that easy. Go to Google, type in YouTube Podcast One Sports, and it'll take you right to the special uh, edition of Talk is Jericho with Daniel House. He started as a Jericho-holic. And now I'm a houseaholic. And when you hear his story, you'll feel the same way. Uh, so check it out. And thanks to Paul Heyman and Edge for an amazing part two. Thanks for checking out both these episodes. All the episodes of Talk is Jericho. Uh, thanks for, for using my Amazon link. Every time you do your online shopping, really easy to find. Go to podcastone.com. Click on the podcasts free banner at the top of the page. Then click on Talk is Jericho. You'll see all three of my Amazon links. Amazon UK, Amazon Canada, and... Everybody's going Amazon, Amazon USA. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week. No extra hidden fees or extra charges. Just getting your shopping done and helping me out in the process. So thank you so much. Uh, July 22nd, do you want to start a war? New Fozzie record coming out. If you want to pre-order that, do so. Uh, go on to Amazon using the link, the Talk is Jericho link. Pre-order the record, take a screenshot of it, post it on at Fozzy Rock, and we will follow you. Don't forget about the big show at the Whiskey in Los Angeles, the Do You Want to Start a War tour kickoff show, July 24th, Whiskey, LA, Los Angeles, Hollywood, California, Whiskey A Go Go, Fozzy. What more do you need? Uh, come join us there if you're in Southern California and check out the new Fozzy record. Do you want to start a war? Pre-order it now. And also, don't forget Daniel House on Monday, special edition. All you got to do is go to YouTube Podcast One Sports and it'll be there. So that's what I got for you. Hope you guys have a great, great, uh, great weekend, great day. Stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. In the meantime and in between time, that's it. Another edition of Talk is Jericho. See you next week and a big year, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at PodcastOne.com. That's PodcastOne.com. 